You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. The airlock has been sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the Functional Nerdverse. Ugh. Nerdverse has been a busy place lately, man. Have you checked for, like, invaders or anything? Are we safe? As far as I know. Okay. All right. We probably should have checked before the last episode, but I guess Kate scared them <laughs> off or something. Uh, well, on the subject of invaders, we at least have welcome company, like company we want to have around. My very own agency sister, Ren Hutchings. How are you doing, Ren? I'm doing great, Tacey. Hi, so, Patrick. How are you? Hi. <laughs> Ren is with us uh, because your debut novel is like deeply, yeah. insanely imminent. Uh, Under Fortunate Stars is coming out in June in hardback in the U.S. Congratulations. This is the never meet your heroes take on space opera and and time travel that you, we didn't know that we needed. <laughs> That's a, that's a great introduction. Um, I just want to mention that the, um, the ebook and the audiobook are going to be out next week, which is May 10th. So if those are your jam, you can get a hold of them. Yes, oh, wow. actually, by, by, again, the powers of time travel. By the time this the episode goes live, travel. those things will already be out there. So don't don't let uh, format stop you from checking out Under Fortunate Stars. So, okay. All right. We did the whole like never meet your heroes thing, but I think we need to clue people in as about what that's about. So give us the lay of the land. Okay, so Under Fortunate Stars, it is a space opera. And uh, the way that I've kind of summed up this book is it is a tale of accidental time travel, a history nerd to the rescue and the perils of meeting your heroes. And what it's about is about uh, two ships, one from the past and one from the future, or both from the present, depending how you look at it, um, meet each other in this rift in space time where they can't contact anyone from the outside world and um, they come into contact with each other. And what becomes clear quickly is that one of the ships, the one from the past, is actually a historically important vessel, one that is known to almost everybody in the galaxy in uh, kind of the present time of the second ship. And a history nerd who's on board is like a huge fan of this particular voyage and like knows everything about it. But when they meet um, this ship for real, they find that there are some um, alarming differences between <laughs> what history told them was true and what seems to be the case here. And it's about how they deal with that and what the consequences will be if indeed um you know, that historic mission never gets carried out if they never escape or um, if the people who are on board don't carry out what history kind of expected them to do. That seems so odd from a storytelling point to have, you know, history leave out some details and, and not tell us the whole truth. I mean, that's never happened before. No. Like, I've never seen that. That's crazy. <laughs> but on the subject of like details and stuff, though, I don't want to bury the lead here. Like, of all of the things to have be your first released debut novel, oh my god, you did time travel? Are you a masochist? <laughs> this is so hard, Ren. This is so hard to do. Talk to me about writing time travel because I just, I can't. My brain is seizing. I have loved time travel forever for about, probably about the same as I've loved speculative fiction and science fiction. Um, the first time travel 
experience that I had in fiction, I still remember it was the movie Flight of the Navigator. I was yes, way too yes. young. Oh my god, to I, see it. I saw that like forty <laughs> times one summer. It was bad. I wore out I, was, the, I wore out the, the actual tape on the VHS. That's the thing I that was can happen. Definitely still at that age where I wasn't quite able to discern fiction from reality. And I was <laughs> terrified of this. So there's a kid that has like an alien encounter and when he comes back to his house his whole family has aged like a decade and his little brother is older than him now and he's exactly as he was when he left earth and i just thought this could happen i thought every time that i was on outside my house like on my own and i couldn't see my family and i would be coming back to the back door like i hope they're not 10 years older or like (laughs) a different family doesn't live here now because 20 years passed like this was a very real thing and i think partly because it freaked me out so much i really needed to know everything about time travel so i started reading um time travel stories Starting with like a kid's adaptation of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, and then I read A Wrinkle in Time, and this book called The Starlight Crystal, which is why Christopher Pike, it's another time Mm -hmm. travel story, and I just kind of fell down this rabbit hole of reading everything that I could with, with time travel stories throughout my whole childhood and onward into my adult life. And so I think after... After all of that, it's really not a surprise that I even yeah. decided to try one. <laughs> so you're the sort of person where if you if like some some rando were to put a gun to your head and be like, solve the grandfather paradox, you'd be like, this is it. This is my moment. <laughs> so I've actually, when I was 12, I set a password that I've never told to anyone else. So in case I time traveled, I could instantly know that the message came from me. Because you know when you're, like, you're trying to convince someone to do something, you have to go yeah, through yeah, this. Well, to- who do you know? And do you know this? And do you know that? Like, I wanted like a quick, okay, it's going to be like this exchange of passwords. You say this, I say that. Good. You're me or this message came from me. Let's go. <laughs> See, I've, I've always done the thing where I'm like, ah, oh, this is future Patrick's problem. And so, so basically at this point in my life, I have created a super villain in the future who hates me. Mm. That's exciting. I mean, that. (laughs) I mean, that's actually a hell of an origin story. You know, a lot of us did this to you. Me. It was me. I did. I will throw it out there. If you're interested in this kind of thing, uh, I just posted this actually on our, on our patrons group, NBC has greenlit a uh, revival of Quantum Leap. Ooh. And it's going to be it's going to be a new storyline, but mm-hmm. set in the same universe where someone is looking for Sam and trying to find Sam and they're they're now leaping, trying to find Dr. Sam Beckett. That's not like it's not one that I know a ton about, but I think I often have become interested in things after like when there's a reboot or something to go back and look at the older one and see exactly how, you know what things they decided to change and what stayed the same and like what's kind of resonating because the way we tell stories changes. Yeah. Um, but then there's other things about that, like the concept and then the core of what it was that's definitely going to be preserved if it's a good reboot. Um, so that's, that's always really interesting. Yeah. I, I watched it. I don't, I don't know it. Like I don't know it as well as I know Star Trek. Uh, but for example, theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He woke to find himself in the past, staring at mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. All right. <laughs> I get out. Yeah. Yeah. That does, that does sound like you you maybe didn't have it entirely down. You might have yeah. Yeah. or something. Yeah. 
<laughs> was the was the addiction show of my middle school years. Uh, you know, you know, it was actually my 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 favorite uh, time travel show mm-hmm. that I remember as a kid, and I think it's one of those things where I remember it being so much better than it probably actually is. Yeah, and if I watched it now, probably visited it. I don't know that yeah. I would go there. This was a show called Voyagers. Okay. And do you know Punky Brewster? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She had an older brother who was an actor. Okay. He is in this show. He's in this show. And he's the kid. And there's a guy. And he's got like a steampunky watch thing Mm -hmm. that lets him travel through time. And it gets damaged. Mm-hmm. And he and the kids start traveling through time and they can't quite get exactly where they need to go. And it's a similar concept where they have to fix time. But this this watch thing is damaged and keeps sending them to the wrong places or sending them just outside or, you know, slightly to the left of. But they still have to kind of survive and, and, and move on. Yeah. And I just remember that as a kid and loving that. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I, there's something about the idea of understanding time and history and things like that, which is intrinsically appealing. Um, and I wonder if one of the reasons why it appeals to, to some of us from when we're really young is that like when you're a kid, there are so many ways in which you are like not powerful. Like the world is sort of like hemming you in and you're kind of marginalized in a ton of different ways. And so like having an, the ability to understand something and the ability to, to, manipulated or to feel like you can sort of like end around the way the world really is it's enormously appealing like who wouldn't want that <laughs> absolutely yeah. well and there, there's some things where they do it well and mm-hmm. and some where they don't right uh and 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 time travel is real because as and i keep going back to star trek because ren is wearing enterprise earrings but i i, I keep doing this because uh you know there's there's the there's the whole storyline with the actress denise crosby who said, oh, my God, I don't want to be on Star Trek anymore. This is going to hurt my career. I need to do something else. Can I please leave? And they killed her, mm-hmm. killed her character. Uh, and then kind of came back and said, hey, we got an idea. And then yesterday's Enterprise was born, which is one of the best time travel things ever, right? As as the old Enterprise comes through this rift in time, the entire timeline changes. Mm-hmm. And I think I, that's also, yeah, that's a big question. Also, like, do you change something? Do you try to keep it the same? Do you try to change something? If you can, can you even change anything? Like all those questions kind of inform how, you know, how a particular story is going to handle time travel. Yeah. Well, I mean, your main character, Uma, is, is yes, a history buff. But like because of being a history buff, probably, I, I don't know, like how do we – how do I mean you you yourself have studied history and you have a background in, in archaeology and so like I have a feeling that there's a lot of Uma and Ren and Ren and Uma and et cetera. But like given the opportunity, like what what's the harder choice to like leave the thing alone that you encounter if you feel that that there is a problem within it, or to change it not not knowing what the consequences are? And I, I don't know, like what for for yourself, like if you threw yourself into your character's situation here. Like you have a chance to to encounter someone from history and right a wrong or sort of re rejigger the results. Like, would you? Me personally, yeah. um, I don't know because 
it also depends whether doing that would look just branch off a multiverse so you never changed anything at all like there's, and then now suddenly because we're in the I don't know universe, how time yeah. travel works I think mm-hmm. a lot would depend on how much I know about whether I can or can't change it like if we're at a place where science tells us yes if you do something it'll just erase everything that happened before but then what about like you know everyone that you know or that you met after like what if their lives change in a way that's worse yeah. Or you get into the trolley problem, I think, because what if the the thing that you do ends up causing something worse? Yeah. And are you going to just keep going back and changing it over and over? I mean, some stories for some stories that that is the story, someone going back and trying to change things over and over and over. And usually they find that you you just can't create a perfect outcome. Yeah. So maybe the the result that happened was already the best that you could do. Plus, are there rival time travelers going back and trying to change it opposite you? Well, that's where you get into like, that's this is how you, you lose get, the time war. This is how you lose the time war, right? Where yeah, you've yeah. got multiple characters who are trying to affect this outcome, this kind of braid of time in different ways. And yeah, I think it would really depend on the circumstances and, you know, why I wanted to change that and what, uh, you know, what sort of view I had on what would happen. How much do I know what's going to happen and how much of it is just messing around? Okay. And am I qualified to mess around? I don't know. <laughs> See, <laughs> I think that's a responsible answer. Yeah. See, th- this is something that Doctor Who plays with as well, because Doctor Who always shows up and there's a fixed point in time. Mm-hmm. And once he's there or she, they they are part of that moment in history now. And there's certain things they can change and certain things they can't. And Pompeii, the Pompeii episode is a great example of that. You know, I, I think it was Donna begging him to save someone, anyone. And he's like, I can't. It's a fixed point in time. There, I can't save anyone here. Like, I just can't do it. And and it's that it's that whole thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna totally spoil uh, a very famous episode of Quantum Leap for you now. Donald P. Belisario, the the guy who created it, was in the army mm-hmm. with Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. He 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 knew him from the army. They were not friends, but he he knew him. And at the time, there was a lot of stuff about JFK going on. Uh, I think uh, Oliver Stone was doing the movie. There was all kinds of stuff. And so he decides to have Sam leap into Oswald mm-hmm. uh, for, a, for a two-part episode. And you have his, the, the whole premise of the show was that there's someone in the future, Al, who uh, Sam can see in here through a, a hologram because their brains are kind of connected. So Al is always there feeding Sam information about you know what's going on in this time period what do you, what do like they, they have a supercomputer that's basically going through and saying, here's the lines of things. This is what we think you have to fix in order to leap. And every leap they think he's going to come home anyway. So he's in Oswald and Al's like, you got to stop him. You got to stop him. He can't kill Kennedy. You have to stop him. And he just keeps, he's pushing the whole time and it ends up not happening. And at the at the very end, he leaps into one of the Secret Service guys and who leaps on the car, as you see in the Zabruder film. He leaps on the car and uh, and he's talking to Al afterwards. And he's like, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't save the president. And Al's like, no, but you saved Jackie. And in the original timeline, both Kennedys were shot in the car. Wow. Okay. and i mean that was good like see i think that's really interesting like playing with the idea that we're not in the original timeline anymore to begin yeah 
what we take for How granted do you know as what the you audience. Take. It also yeah. depends. Does your like does your own memory change when you time travel? Like, or do you start to forget how it used to be, or you just have this vague feeling that something was different, or do you remember every iteration? Mm-hmm. And does anyone else remember? So, yeah, I think that that's one of the beautiful things about time travel is there's just so many variables and so many different ways that you can storytell. Yeah. And yeah. some of them work, some work less well. But I think for me, as long as it's consistent, as long as in your world, however it works is consistent and what you've established stays the same throughout, I don't really mind about certain, um, you know, if you choose different ways of making it work. Yeah. So um, if, you, if you're writing something then like what you have in, in Underfortunate Stars, mm-hmm. can you afford to be a pantser to any degree? Or do you really kind of have to be like, no, <laughs> no, I've got to have a zipper. I am, yeah. I am the most pantser pantser that there is. So I hope so. What even are um, pants? I, I have Pantsers seen. unite. <laughs> um. I always go into a book knowing the inciting incident and the ending and everything else gets written in the order that it comes to me. Mm -hmm. This book was originally over 200,000 words. The final draft was like 195. Um, But there's probably like half a million words between things that I wrote, like notes and scenes that didn't make it even into the first draft. Now it's like another third shorter than that. So I think I just write a ton of material And then I put it into order after the fact. But when you're writing a time travel story, which this story is nonlinear, so the things that you see um, in the book are not necessarily in the order that they chronologically happened, both for time travel reasons and for the reasons of how the chapters are ordered. Um, I think that much like with a narrative like that, all the pieces are kind of out there in front of you and you jump around between them. Yeah. So yeah. in a way, the way that the story was created is very much the way that it, it, it is ex- um, it is experienced for the reader. Yeah. Where you can hop around and find the pieces. It's sort of neat, though, that you can work so hard to develop something so thoroughly that you've, you've kind of essentially by having exploded the story outward and then kind of winnowed and narrowed it down to the to the structure that you have now you've kind of done the string theory of going out in, in all the directions and explored things so that you, it must give you some sense of confidence that the story you've arrived at after all of those edits, this is the story. Like this is the right yeah. version of what's going to happen to Uma and to her crew. Mm-hmm. And to, Yeah. The very first scene that I wrote for the book, which was that scene, the inciting mm-hmm. incident is almost identical to how I wrote it. So it's the scene that where the galleon first gets the distress call from the Jonah and all of the crew reacting to mm-hmm. it. Um, with the reactions you'd expect, like some people are just like, is this a hoax? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, what? what is happening here? Um, and that scene is virtually unchanged because, you know, that I knew exactly how that was going to happen. I knew that the, they're going to find this other ship. They're going to be told mm-hmm. this is a ship that everyone knows very well from legend and they're going to go how because you know unlike the enterprise crew they are not a crew that's used to you know encountering time anomalies or doing interstellar diplomacy or finding you know weird rifts in space that's not what they do they take scientists out to perform experiments in deep space they are a corporate ship Um, A lot of them are administrators. So they're highly trained and they're very good at their jobs, but this is very outside of their experience. And 
I knew that I wanted to capture what that moment is like when you're faced with something that you are not trained for. And I think like my favorite kind of story, whether it's sci-fi or any other kind of story, is always somebody being thrown into a weird situation with absolutely no preparation and really having to use their skills and the resources they have and what they know in new ways to now solve swim. a problem that they never, <laughs> yeah, never trained for. And is the is the ship that they they know from the history? Mm-hmm. Is that a is it a lost ship? Like did it no, did it disappear? I mean, Okay. No, it performed its voyage. So it carried five human heroes to the peace negotiations where they ended an interstellar war. Okay. So in, in history, it, well, it did kind of just appear after that. No one really knows what happened to it, but it's not in the sense of loss, like it disappeared. It's more like right. the records just aren't there about what yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it, I mean, that almost wasn't important because they've already done the mission at that point. Sure. But we know that the ship doesn't exist because Uma tells us at one point that, you know, they didn't know what it looked like inside or what, you know, what really it looked like other than the um, the hull and the make of the ship. Yeah. Um, because she had worked with her father on a historical kind of recreation, right? Taking a vintage hull and making it look like how they thought it would look inside. And, you know, when she sees this one, she's like, oh, it's not. <laughs> It's not at all like what we guessed. We had this over here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's like, oh no, we had, you know, we thought that the the cabins, the sleeping cabins were on this side, and we put that there. And oh, (laughs) this is totally wrong. So we know that they don't know, you know, they don't have the historical ship left over, but we don't have, you know, historical ships that made voyages on Earth either. Gotcha. So existed, but we don't have them. (laughs) I guess where I was going was I was just trying to make sure that like this wasn't like a Oh, what was it? Babylon three that vanished, uh, yeah, kind of nope, thing, and, and no like one ever that. knew what happened to them, and yeah, okay. No, I think this is partly what makes it kind of scary as well, because there's no record of this ever having happened to the ship. Yeah. Like they never fell into a rift and lost power, and there's no record of them having been in like this region of space. Like they're not even where they're supposed to be. Is this going to they're fail to, to end be, the interstellar war? They're supposed to be on their way to end the interstellar war. Um, they are actually smugglers who are doing something totally different. (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. Love it. So, okay. I have to, I I mentioned before that I feel like there's, there's some cross pollination of you with, with your main character here. And so we're going to play a little, little brain game and to make it fair, we could all three of us play it here so that you're not the only one being put on the spot, but like, can you imagine any, historical figure that you're really interested in where on the one hand you would love the opportunity to actually meet them but you would also be really concerned about the reality that you would encounter in meeting them concerned in the sense that they wouldn't be as cool as i think i don't know like in some way like like you like that they as a person in a sense are not you know the cabins are on the wrong side as it were or like the sleeping compartments are this is you are not who i imagined you would be because it's not just the ship of course it's the people feel, on it okay, they're not gonna... they're not diplomats they're smugglers you know <laughs> i think it would be really interesting to go and look for the reality of a historical figure that has sort of become mythical where we don't really know if they were real. Like Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, something like King Arthur, there was a possibility that there was a king at some point that something was based on, but 
you know, the legends and the lore that's come after that is very much layer upon layer upon layer of reimagining and retelling that I'm sure is very far. Like, I just want to know, is there anything in the sort of pop culture version of this that connects to something? Or is there just like, there was a king and he was called Arthur and that's about it? Like, how much? or, Or is there stuff that's eerily correct that someone made up later that happened to be spot on because Mm -hmm. I have a friend who was writing a historical uh, fantasy at the moment and had made up a character like completely made up a name and it was like a a guard that was working guarding the Pope or something and then she went and looked at a primary source that she had never seen before and there was like a guard mentioned that had the same name and I was like what (laughs) how (laughs) and is that (laughs) But also becomes like, what's the play now? Do I lean into that, or do I do I change the guard's name, or do right? Do you change it, or do you lean in, or do you think, oh, okay, that's cool? Or had you read something a long time ago where it was kind of just buried deep in your brain, and so that name just popped out? So I think I'd be really interested to look at something like that and see, like, what did we weirdly get right when we were just, you know, throwing a name out there or making something up because. I think that would be fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, Patrick. Do you have a? I, I can go if you if you are either a not participating or b not need need a moment to think. But well, you know, Ren Ren basically made me. I, I was going in one direction, and Ren made me go in another. One of one of my favorite characters from from stories, and this character has been adapted, changed, and made into all kinds of different other characters is Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. So yeah. I would like to, I, you know, in this context, I would love to know more about Robin Hood and what did what what was right, what was wrong, and was he and fox? I'm sorry. Was he a fox? Like, yeah. Was was he was, was he the son of Hearn the Hunter? Like <laughs> we don't know, you know. Uh, but I'd, I'd I'd love to know something more about that because that character has always uh, intrigued me. And to your point, there's been lots of characters that came after both historical and fictional who kind of did the same thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have Zorro was based on some, some characters from, from Spanish California, but they were doing the same kind of shit that, that Robin Hood was supposedly doing. There's, there's a, the Scarlet Pimpernel, right. Was Mm kind of doing the same kind of stuff. So it it just feels like it all comes from, from one source. And I'd love to know more about it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is a very basic sounding answer, but I, I'm, I'm going to stand by it. Like, I'm not ashamed. Um, but I, I would want to meet Shakespeare because I... Which for, one? For several reasons. Well, <laughs> that's part of it, right, though? No, seriously. Like, that's that's part of it. Like, in all seriousness, there's there are people who take themselves seriously. I do not take them seriously. In the world of academia, who have posited for years that there was no Shakespeare. That Shakespeare was, like, the pen name of a collective of individuals writing together. Um and, you know, there's there's all sorts of, like, counter theories about, like, could Shakespeare have been Sir Walter Riley? Could Shakespeare have been, you know, kind of, like, like kludging in some of the early Marlowe works? And, like, what, what else have we got? Um, and so I'm really interested in – part of my personal headcanon of Shakespeare is rooted in the fact that, like, 
Although we make a big deal, I'm an English teacher, we make a big deal in the world of westernized education about Shakespeare as this like luminary figure of entertainment. The reality of it is he was the equivalent of a soap opera author um, who had really good political connections um, and was favored by individuals in power. And so he's, he, he would have been like the equivalent of a of a. Oh, I don't know, like a Steven Spielbergian or George Lucas kind of creator producer kind of figure. And so I, I'm really interested to kind of see how this dude actually operated turning around a new script like every eight weeks and like how 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 dirty were those dirty papers and like just how <laughs> messed up was the process of rehearsing this crap? Like I kind of want to there's a part of me that feels like there's a very like populist blue collar origin story here that maybe could be confirmed by this or maybe i'm just setting myself up for my own uma meets the jonah experience <laughs> here i don't know to go to go back to my my wheelhouse there, there's an episode of doctor who in the tenant years mm-hmm. where he and martha uh visit shakespeare and shakespeare is a very down to earth kind of blue collar guy and he drinks a lot and he parties a lot and uh one of the, one of the funniest things and it became a meme is like he's hitting on martha constantly and the doctor's like, come on, we can all have a good time later on. And and Shakespeare looks at him and kind of gets a smile on his face. He's like, is that a promise, doctor? Mm-hmm. And and the doctor just kind of looks at him and goes, oh, 57 academics just punched the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we get, and, 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 and the, the premise of that episode is is the love's labor lost. Mm-hmm. Uh play that never never materialized like never happened but was supposedly a sequel uh mm-hmm. to, to one of his plays but yeah to your point it's like is he was it, was it one person was it multiple persons was it someone else taking credit for someone else's writing like because we know that's never happened yeah, yeah i think shakespeare is actually like a pretty good comparison for the level to which like the fortunate five would be known is like most people know have heard the name Shakespeare at least or can name something at least if you have gone through the western English education system you've probably had to even study some of it in depth but I'd say many people like unless you're an English major you probably forgot most of it or you've maybe then seen it again in a movie or a tv show or in a sci-fi where they go back and meet him and so the Shakespeare that's in your mind is this collage of all of those things what you learned in school ages ago and forgot the the movie that you saw and just like you know the cartoon image of him that one picture of him that's everywhere and all of that is just kind of mashed together in your head to create this this illusion of who you think he would be, which if you put that next to, you know, who he is or was, if you got to meet him, I'm sure you, you might find some similarity, but really it's kind of drifted mm-hmm. very far from, yeah. Yeah. from what we actually know to what people have created and like personalities that have really been given to him. He's mm-hmm. an original character at this point. Yeah. I mean, to your point of like, there are things that we would never imagine as having been created that the very limited biographical information we have on Shakespeare confirm are actually are created. Like, I think I may have, that I may have dropped this before when Alison Epstein was on talking to us about uh, Tip for the Hangman a while back, but I'm, I'm going to do it again because I think it's a hell of a factoid. There are, if memory serves me correctly, 13 documents that we have, legal documents um, that exist, which have William Shakespeare's signature on it. 
they're like various bills of sale or like things that he had to sign because he was called as a witness in a court case or things of that nature where we have every reason to believe and confirm that this that and and the context of these documents confirms that they're referring to William Shakespeare the playwright as having signed this thing fun fact all 13 of these signatures each one spells the name William Shakespeare differently <laughs> Funnest fact of all, none of those 13 spellings we have of Shakespeare on historical record are the spelling of Shakespeare that we use. None of them. He's like William Shakespeare, William, William Shockensphere, um, Willem uh, something or other, like none of them, not a single one of them. Like, so when you say an original character here in the sense that the fortunate five have been, you know, adopted by history and the sort of the purposes of the narrative of the end of the war and all of that. Um, yeah, you really are taking the root of something and turning it into whatever hole you're trying to plug. Fun fact. We used to get a lot of books. From publishers. <laughs> publishers used to send us a shit ton of books. And and I'm not kidding. I mean a shit ton. And get a lot of paperbacks from from and and that that kind of gave me for the first time really a a sense of scale and scope of how much is published. And of course this is in the before times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thankfully they don't send me books anymore. So fingers crossed, knock on wood. Because uh, half the time I couldn't do anything with the books, but I, I, I got on a kick of going through the books and, and trying to book some of the people, right, and, and trying to get them on on SF Signal or on Functional Nerds. And I remember there was a paperback, and and it was kind of interesting. And there was a little they always had a little slip of paper inside from the publicist that says, "If you're interested, you know, contact me, and we can blah 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 blah." And so I, I wrote an email and I said, yes, you know, I just got a book from you. I'd be interested in interviewing this author. And the publicist came back and said, which one? And I said, what do you mean? And they go, well, that's actually a pen name that's used by six different people writing in that series. Like, which one did you want to talk to? Huh. <laughs> I had no freaking clue. None. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> And now, because of the blood packs that you signed long ago under a full moon, you are you are not to speak of the, of the truth. Yeah. So my point is that that still happens, right? Yeah. They they, oh, yeah. they they will they will create a brand. Someone will create a brand, and and a brand will be an author name. And then they'll get people to write things. You know, it, it happens with James Patterson at this point and yeah, yeah. Suzanne Collins and different ones. And they'll they'll say, you know, James Patterson and big book written by Alan Smithy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, in small, tiny little print. Um, so, yeah. So, okay. I, we, we're going to need to get to picks of the week soon. But this, this for me, raises an important question. This is our first Wren Hutchings book here. There will be others, um, of course. What's the Wren Hutchings brand? Like, if somebody's going to go in and, like, AO3 tag the, the, the Wren Hutchings reading experience, what, what would you hope to see next to your name? Uh, found family for sure mm-hmm. space shenanigans weird time stuff um lovable rogues indefinitely characters who are not necessarily morally great but just very 
multifaceted in that they have a side of them that is their actions that are seen to some people and a side of them that is a lot deeper that they don't necessarily show to everyone. And that is definitely too long for a tag, but it's a very specific <laughs> flavor of character. I, could, that I, I, I know students who would make that a tag. That's fine. They would, they'll do it for you. <laughs> just like, a tag novel in there, just Tumblr style. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Words. <laughs> the tag yeah. is actually a post. <laughs> this very specific, there's just a very specific flavor of character that I think has a public face, which is often whether that's bravado or the fact that they are like a strong leader or the fact that they're always funny. And then you'll get that scene where suddenly you're like, oh, that isn't necessarily what's going on underneath. And I yeah, think that that moment yeah. is fascinating. And the moment who that they choose to show that to and the circumstances under which it happens are often like the those key scenes that really yeah. make people connect with a character. That's awesome. All right. So we, we promised it. I think it's picks time. Let's do it. Picks of the week. All right. So for, for picks of the week for this week, I'm going to surprise the hell out of everyone by actually talking about things with moving pictures that go very fast, um, which I'm told are called movies. Um, and specifically, like my, my son, uh, Corwin, a friend of his who he hasn't seen in quite some time has come back into town after moving away. And he next week uh, is going to be going to see the new Dr. Strange movie, uh, the, the, the multiverse of madness. But he wanted to make sure that he had the complete kind of contextual knowledge that he would need to go into the multiverse thing. He had already seen WandaVision. Um, he had not seen the Dr. Strange movie. So we watched that with him, although my husband and I had already seen it before. And he had seen the first two Spider-Man movies uh, with Tom Holland, but had not seen the third because he just hadn't. Um, and it just seemed like eh, that's how we're going to be sort of like kicking doors into the multiverse. We should probably handle that, especially since Doctor Strange is in it. So this week has been like homework week for watching <laughs> movies for the Townsends. It's Doctor um, Strange crash course. Right, basically. So we did like the Doctor Strange movie and then three days in a row it was like Tom Holland Spider-Man, Tom Holland Spider-Man, Tom Holland Spider-Man. Um, and my specific pick of the week is that I'm just really deeply impressed by John Watts, who's the director of the three Spider-Man films with Tom Holland. And the specific reason that I'm really impressed by it, if you haven't seen all three of these movies, I think watching them in close proximity to one another was actually really beneficial. Um, and it, it helped me see a lot of ways that he has this directorial vision that arcs across all three of the films and what he's doing with um, sort of you know, seating things and gun on the wall moments and how things turn out. But also just the fundamental way that the text of the film seemed to like get teenagers there are definitely films and, and television shows I've seen where you'll have teenage characters where you have a very strong, hello, kids, I am also a kid kind of vibe off of the whole way it's constructed. And there's a real sense that John Watts and his writers understand this kind of generational language that they're sitting in and the generational moment that they're sitting in and they're able to use that to tell a better story. And so uh, if you have not already checked out all three of the Spider-Man films with Tom Holland directed by John Watts, totally recommend it, especially as a back-to-back -back binge. Now I will throw it out there. Mm -hmm. If you, if you are intending on going to see Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, you might also want to watch the limited series on Disney Plus called What If. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Because I get the feeling there's some stuff from that, too. I've read a number of the comics that the What If um, cartoon limited series was riffing off of. Um, you know, like the zombie one and so forth. Um, like I've, I've, I've actually read those in, in physical title forms. So I feel like I've kind of got that, uh, for myself, if I end up seeing uh, multiverse of madness, what I really need to watch is WandaVision because I have not done that. Yeah. Because as we have spoken about before, I am bad at television. <laughs> yeah. I think there's just so much coming out so fast now. It feels like I have about 20 series that I'm like, okay, I've got to watch that in I haven't even started and the next day the next season's already out or there's another thing and yeah I just yeah. think like especially now I've been like very focused on the writing thing and um just also just reading tons of books and the other debuts and stuff I've watched less mm-hmm. non you know non-book media than ever <laughs> yeah it's it, it's it's kind of tough to be writing in a genre where there is this massive plugged inness that's sort of part of the cost of entry and to be like but i can't they like when do i what do i not plug in when do i not plug (laughs) what if i do i need an adapter do they have the european plugs like how's that work (laughs) ren well how about you you have a pick pick of the week Hmm. Well, something that's been bringing me a ton of joy lately is I just started playing a new virtual D&D campaign. And I got one of um, two of the other players in the campaign are dice makers. And they made uh, me a custom set of dice, which have the colors of my book cover. I don't oh, know nice. what you see. And this is my cover here. I'm just going to hold it up so you can see it on the video. This is so pretty. And it has all of those beautiful rainbow colors. In this a is set great of radio. Dice that yeah, looks- it's very rainbowy. I don't know. We will describe <laughs> it in great detail. It's but, swirly yeah. and pink and blue I, and peach. I have yeah. never had a, a set of custom dice before. And I just, I'm delighted. I just look at them all the time. I have them like just sitting here on my desk. And I've been trying not to fidget with them here because they'll probably click around and make sounds. On them. <laughs> but they are gorgeous. And yeah, so they are nine hells dice. That's their... Nine Hell's um, Dice. Fantastic. You can find them on Twitter if you want some custom dice for your character. But these, like, I am obsessed. They're so pretty. (laughs) They have little sparkles in them. They do. Um, Yeah. That's my pick. If it makes you feel any better, our listeners are not used to hearing (laughs) dice going at any particular time. I have never, as an example, I've never, you know, rolled initiative (laughs) for people. We need to have um, you do like a special audio cut or something that's just like random background noises that you've carved out. <laughs> you could, I mean, you could probably do like a serious mix of like our entrance theme with, I don't know, my dogs barking and like the the air conditioner kicking on and, you know, doors opening and closing and footsteps. And well, sneezes. here's what I want to say, Ren. I, I love your pick. I do because I think I think you can never have too many dice. Number one, you can never have too many sets of die. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that I was just showing you are actually they were a Kickstarter. They're the Elder Dice. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah. And the container actually looks like a like a book. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, right? And then you've got the little tray, and then you open it up, and that's where the dice are. So I I just feel like you can never have too many die you, you, because part of the problem is you know you start playing a D and D campaign or Pathfinder or whatever. And you roll that first roll and you get a five. So fuck those dice. 
Yeah. Put those away. They go to jail now. (laughs) (laughs) Grab the next set. Try those. Those don't work. Ask the DM if they have any. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So anytime you can have custom die, I'm, I'm all for it. So those are those are pretty awesome. That that's actually that is a that's an incredible gift. So mm-hmm. kudos to those players. Fantastic. That's awesome. Well done, Nine Hells. <laughs> uh, my pick this week is different. Uh, I am going with a PS5 release that came out. This is Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga. And if if you are not familiar with the Lego games in general, they they tend to be fun and kind of simple and uh, they just released the Skywalker saga. So you can basically play in all nine movies and you can, you can, you can do each trilogy separately. So you can start with the Phantom Menace and, and, and your, your Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan going on to the separatist ship. And then you have to go down to Naboo and, and play through that way. Or you can start with a new hope. And, and go there, you know, or you oh, can. You don't have to play them in order, so you have to time you travel through them. Yes, you can ah. go through and, and play them however you want, and it's it's just fun. It's fun. The, there's so much humor in those games because they are trying to be they're trying to be broad enough for kids and adults to mm-hmm. kind of play, and they're just fun. <laughs> they just cute. they're just so much fun, and and so I I went ahead and grabbed that when they when they released and and. Uh, have been playing here and there. Uh, I started with Phantom Menace. And as soon as I got to Jar Jar, I was like, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's the, it's a fun game. And uh, I believe it's also on PS4. It might be on Xbox. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm so out of tune with what's on Xbox at this point. But uh, yeah, uh, Star Wars, Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga. Awesome. That's quite a variety back there. So yeah, you can right. you can you there's DLC content now where you can get Mando. Oh, and that's... every time Mando spawns, you also get Grogu, who follows oh. him around in the little in the little hover thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't play you can't play Grogu, but he follows Mando around, which is awesome. Yeah, no, I mean he's sort of a mercurial spirit in any case. <laughs> I think not being able to control his actions is actually extremely on brand. Yes. <laughs> All right, so here we go. It's time to tell folks where to find you, where to find your book, where to, where to look for you in the future. Give it to us, Ren. So you can find me on my website. It's renhedgings.com. And I am on Twitter and Instagram, at Void Cricket. And my book, you can find the audiobook and the ebook from May 10th, anywhere that those are sold so on your preferred retailer and the hardback should be in the u.s on june 7th and if you're in the uk it is out next week this week coming may 12th so by the by kind of mid-june you should be able to find all the formats everywhere that you choose and so 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 here's here's the preferred here's the preferred uh uh behavior you should you should get the ebook and the audiobook now because you can get them with the whisper sync, right? And so you can you can be in the car as you're driving around. You can listen to the audiobook. Then when you get home and you're working out on the treadmill, you got the ebook there, and they're syncing back and forth. And then when the hardcover comes out, you buy that so you can have it on your bookshelf. It's the trophy. You can, yeah. you can yes, it's the trophy. You have it on the bookshelf, yeah. and, and then you get an can... achievement for having all three. Yes, yeah, that's yes. right. Yeah, there's a whole like there's a there's a dialogue window that opens up and it tells you that that happened. Yeah. Yes. That's a true statement. Absolutely. 
<laughs> I haven't seen that yet because my my hardcover isn't here yet. So. <laughs> oh no! So you even you haven't unlocked the final level. I have not. I'm waiting for that dialogue box. <laughs> oh, dialogue. That's box. that's that. I mean, I mean, uh, you might think that I'm teasing, but I'm not. Like that is that is kind of what I do now. I get the audiobook because that's my preferred mm. reading. But then I buy the physical book to put on my bookshelf, so I have it. And I can I can put it up on the bookshelf, and when people come over, I can go, yeah, look at that one, look at that one, that one's so cool. <laughs> well, if you'd like me to send you some of the book swag, because there's a book, there's a bookmark, and there's a postcard, the Seagra City postcard, and there's Zaycorp stickers for your laptop. So if you want that, let me know. I will mail them to you. Awesome. <laughs> laptop stickers are definitely the new the new swag catnip. That's that's a whole thing. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being with us, Ren. It was awesome to have you. Thank you for having me. It was lots of fun. Thanks for listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast. Because I've always partnered with teachers as co-hosts, we have homework for you. Giles and Michelle are kind of cool. They have a podcast called Beyond the Functional Nerd. Oh, hold on. Uh, got a memo coming in here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh... Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess they call it Beyond the Trope now. I honestly don't know if that's new or what. They even have a website for it, though. Beyondthetrope.com. Their podcast is weekly, just like ours, and they talk with people, just like we do, every Tuesday. So if you listen to us, and then go listen to them, and that is really, really important. You have to do it in that order. It's kind of like a double feature. And double features are cool. So check them out over at Beyond the Functional Nerd. I'm uh, sorry, wait, <laughs> sorry, beyondthetrope.com. Yeah, that's it. Beyondthetrope.com. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, or really any of our episodes, there's lots of things you can do to support us and let us know you like these things. Okay? A little bit of validation. We love validation. You could go to. Wherever you listen to our episodes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, and give us some stars and reviews. Say something nice about us. You could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and toss a couple bucks our way. You could get a supporting or attending membership for Worldcon and nominate us for a Hugo Award in 2023. See, I'm kind of getting ahead of it this time. Uh, It's far too late for 2022, but... 2023 is doable. If you need, like, if you have questions, just reach out and, and ask me how that works. And I can I can explain it to you, Todd. You could buy our books. Tracy's got a couple out there. I've got a novel and some novellas out there. Google that shit, people. That would be awesome. You could stop two random strangers in the street and tell them all about us. Like, just people you're passing as you're walking. Now, <laughs> if you do that, like... uh. Make some serious eye contact. Don't don't blink. Just stare at them right in the eye and tell them to listen to us and why they should. There's probably some stuff I'm forgetting. <laughs> I'm sure Robert will let me know or Todd. Whatever happened to Beware the Hairy Mango? Is it Mucho Mango Mayo Month yet? Hmm. I should go Google that. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. Oh, for God's sake. Patrick Louise. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably a good enough signal.
I'm so excited. <laughs>